is sort of based on the idea that God has a plan for every problem in your life. That it's, it's honestly, it's God's plan for you to live at your highest level of potential. Your highest level. Write that in your notes if you haven't yet. That God's plan for you is to live at your highest level of potential. Not your barely get by, I can just barely make it. I just barely drag into church, barely drag into work, barely drag into home. I don't, I'm not happy there. Everything's kind of mediocre in my life. I don't want you to live that life. I think God wants you to have the best life. Say amen to that, everybody. Not perfect, but your highest level of potential. I am not a prosperity gospel preacher like you may think about or hear negative about, but look into my eyes so I don't want you to misinterpret me. That does not mean God does not want to prosper you. He does want to prosper you. He does want to promote you. He does want to bless you. He wants your life to live at the highest potential that He has for you. And He wants you to live your purpose. Ultimately, so we build our whole church around the idea that God has a plan for your life and the ultimate fulfillment of Christianity is not your salvation. It's where it starts. But the ultimate plan of Christianity is that you discover how God designed you, the potential you have in you, the purpose you have in you, and you live every day of your life in that purpose. That's real fulfillment. That's real living. And in order to be able to live that kind of life, you're going to have to see the problems in your life differently. You're going to have to frame the problems of your life differently because you're going to have bad days. Would you be honest? How many of you had a bad day this last week? Come on, somebody. How many of you had a bad day today? Don't raise your hands on that one. Just keep that. I hope it gets better. How many of you are planning a good bad day this, this week? Have <laughs> you ever met anybody like that? I'm, I'm, I'm planning on Tuesday being bad. I'm just going to be honest with you. I'm planning on, as a pastor, sometimes I'll get a call around Wednesday or Thursday about how sick people are already on Sunday. You know what I mean? <laughs> Pastor, it's, I know it's Wednesday, but I'm feeling bad. I feel like Sundays I'm probably going to be out, you know. And I'm like, man, what do you got? <laughs> you know what I mean? You got a 24-hour gig. We got 96 hours before church. But anyway, I got a bad day. Bad days are going to come. Problems are going to come. Problems are going to come in your marriage. How many of you have been married over 10 years? All the hands. You better know. You better know. Over 10 years, keep your hands up. Come on. If, it's, if you've ever had problems in those 10 years, leave your hands up. Yeah, yeah, you have. Some of you had problems the last 10 minutes. Come on, the last 10 days, the last things are just bad. Some of you are about to have more problems. You keep your hand up, Kevin. <laughs> problems come. They come to the best of marriages. They come to the best of businesses. They come to the best of parents. Problems come. But problems aren't sent to hurt you, harm you, tempt you to evil or sin. But they do come to test you. I want you to reframe your problems as a test, and they're a test of your potential. They're more than problems, they're opportunities. Say amen to that. They're opportunities for me to grow, opportunities for me to prove myself. We said those are opportunities known as proving ground, that your, your spiritual life, much like your physical life, is a series of tests. If you're just here for the first time, let me give you these nine tests. I gave them to you a few weeks ago, but I want to give them to you uh, again today right quickly about this. There, I think there are more, but these are the, the, the nine tests I've uh, found for you that I think every believer will go through at some time in your life. By the way, I think you'll repeat these tests over and over and over. These aren't tests you graduate from. These are tests that you grow in this particular depth, this particular dimension, this particular level. 
and you passed that test, you promoted to the next one, and you still may learn the same material with different dimensions. Are you there? Say amen. The first one's the test of small things. The test of small things. We said last week that there are things in your life that come to prove that you can handle more. They're the test of small things. This week, riding around in my truck with my wife, I said to her, I think we're in the test of small things. I think God's testing us in a couple of areas. We were able to be honest with one another about some areas of our life that God is testing us. How are you going to handle what you do have? So, no, so that I know that when I give you more, you'll act differently, you'll, your mind will be different, your attitude will be different with more. It's a test of small things. Then the motivation test, why do you do what you do? Why do you do what you do? Are you doing the right things for the right reasons? Some people come to church just because my wife makes me come to church. Now that's okay, I guess. I'm glad that you're here either way. I kind of believe that God's going to, there's something about just being in the room and, and experiencing God's presence. But it won't last. Eventually, eventually you'll have to find a reason on your own to, 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 to love God's house. Uh, why you do what you do matters. The credibility test, the wilderness test, the authority test. There will be a time in your life when you're put in authority you don't agree with. You completely uh, dislike the style. You, you, you don't know why it is I have to work for them, I have to be on this team, I have to support them, I have to pray for them, but it's a test, it's an authority test. The next one is the warfare test. The warfare test, are you strong enough to handle the next level? You ever known somebody that gets in spiritual ICU every time they stub their toe? You know what I'm talking about. They have one bad day and they give up on God. That's the warfare test. Can you handle the fight? The offense test. Offenses will come in your life. They will come in your life. You will have a chance to be offended. The test is, are you going to be offended and get over it, or are you going to live offended the rest of your life? Are you going to frame your life by offense, or are you going to frame your life in victory? The offense test. The test of time. The test of time is not... Well, I'm still here, I'm still standing. Look into my eyes, still standing is not the test of time. Still standing and I got better is the test of time. I know a lot of people who are still standing, they're just bitter about it. You know what I mean? I'm still married, but I don't like it. I'm sticking around because, you know, I don't believe in divorce, but this ain't right. No, no, no. God wants you to stick around and be blessed while you're still passing the test of time. Say amen to that. And then ultimately it's the Lordship test. I think you'll face that probably. Uh, it, it, you, may, you may have it every day of your life. It's, it's, it, are God's ways the best ways? Are God's ways always the best ways? The, the verse that we've sort of circled around for this series, let me give it to you again. It's found in the book of James. James is a, it's a very practical, if you're a practical kind of person, you'll love reading the book of James in the New Testament. James would write, consider it, everybody shout pure joy. Come on, shout pure joy. I want you to have pure joy. I don't want you to have fake Christian smiles. You know anybody like that? How's it going, man? How are you doing? I'm fine. We're fine. Real Christian people, how, how, how are you doing, Henry? Oh, I'm blessed, Pastor. Blessed and highly favored. Come on. Too blessed to be stressed. All the while your marriage is crumbling, things are bad, you don't feel good, the kids have gone slam crazy, about to drive you slam crazy, you're balding, you don't want anybody to know that you are, you can't, 
lose weight, your health is getting away from you, you can't sleep at night, your job's awful. I don't want you to have fake Christianese smiles on your faces. I want you to have pure joy. Even in the hardest times of your life, even when the problems come, I want you to consider it pure joy. In other words, joy is a purpose of your life and it's a choice in your life. Do you understand the difference? Happiness is circumstantial. Joy is a choice. And James said, consider it. Choose joy, my brothers and sisters. Whenever you face a problem of any kind, trials of many kinds, because you know, I want to convince you in this series so that you know that the testing of your faith, that the test that comes into your life will help you produce perseverance. You'll have some stickability to you. I want, uh, I want you to be the kind of Christian that has stickability in your life. That's not even a word if you teach English, but I just made it up and I like it. I want, you to be st- I want you to have a sticky kind of faith. I want you to have faith that sticks around in the hard times. I want you to have faith that fights I- even when it's hard. I want you to have faith that is persevering kind of faith. Are you with me on that? When you're in your bed at night and you can't sleep and you don't know what's happening and the doctor's report's bad and you, the kids haven't called and you don't know what's breaking down in your marriage and there's more month than there is money. I want you to have faith that overcomes, persevering faith because... If you will let perseverance finish its work, if you let perseverance finish its work, you'll be mature, you'll be complete, and you'll lack nothing. You'll not lack anything. And that's the kind of Christian life that I want for you. That's the kind of Christian life that I think God has planned for every believer in this room. It's not a barely getting by. It's not a, well, we're just making it. How's your marriage? It's okay. How are your kids and family life? They're okay. No, no, no. I want you to get beyond okay. I want you to get mature and complete and not lacking anything. Say amen to that, everybody. Not lacking anything. Underline that in your notes. That's super important because that view of Christianity is countercultural to maybe how you were raised. Because some people are raised with Christianity thinking, well, God's ready to, he's ready to strike me dead at any moment. He's a long-bearded, old white guy with a lightning bolt in his hands. And the moment I mess up, he's ready. Come on, somebody. Anybody else but me raised like that? He's re- and some of our view of God is that I'm just, if I can just barely make it. Come on, the righteous scarcely are saved. You ever read that? It's just, man, I just, if I can just get it, God, just help me. I, now I remember an old, an old preacher used to pray, and it was in my world, and, and he would say, God, if you, I just let me make it. God, don't let me miss it for anything. God, don't let a small thing be why I missed heaven. Come on, son. What kind of God are you serving that you got to beg every day of your life for the small things in your That's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible wants you to be complete and not lack anything, everybody. He wants you to be... He wants your your marriage, your joy to be whole. He wants your soul to be whole. I don't just want this church to be full of half empty Christians. I want you to be complete and mature and not lacking anything. Say amen to that. That's the goal of the test. The goal of the test is not to break you. It's to complete you. The goal of the test is to give you everything you need so that when you come out on the other side of the test... 
You are whole and put together. It is not God's will for you to come out of the test limping with one leg dragging behind you, one eyeball looking like this with arm bandaged up, just talking about, I just, we made it, we made it. We, y'all pray for us, we made it. We, we made it 10 years to get, look at, that's not God's will for your life to be maimed and barely put together and dragging through life. The test has come into your life to, to mature you, to complete you, to make you whole, to put you together, to give you more purpose, to make you more focused. That's why you're going through a test. Don't get in a test and say, well, God's trying to, uh, He's just trying to break me down. No, He's not, not the God of the Bible. He's not trying to break you down. He's trying to build you up. Oh, that's good. He's trying to build you up. Tests are not meant to harm you. They're meant to help you. They're not meant to break something in you. They're meant to build some things in you, to complete some things in you, to fill up some things in you, to, to, to make your relationship. You, in a classroom, that's where you grow, everybody. In a test lab, you grow there. In the gym, you grow there. Come on, somebody. I'm, at least I'm, I'm on the stretching machines trying to grow there. The gym I happen to go to, it will go unnamed, but it rhymes with slanted pitness. And it, at the, at the front where I check in to uh, the unnamed gym, there is a giant bowl of Tootsie Rolls. And every single time I check in, I tell them, that's what got me in this mess. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I, I, I don't need my drug dealer at rehab. Come on, some. Anyways. In the gyms where you grow. In the gyms where muscles, you know where muscles are formed? Under pressure. You know where diamonds are formed? Under pressure. You know how babies are born? Under pressure. Nothing will be born or matured or grow or come together in your life until there's, pre- till there's a test. Till there's a test. There's a test. Let me give you two of them today. I gave you two last week. Write good notes. If someone's not taking notes beside you, look at them judgmentally. The first one I'll give you is quickly. The second one I'll spend more time. The first one is this. Write quickly the credibility test. The credibility test comes to your life to prove your reliability and trustworthiness. The credibility test comes into your life not to harm you, hurt you, break you but to mature you, to prove, it's a proving ground that you are reliable and you are trustworthy. Your ability to gain and maintain credibility is what opens the door for your next opportunity. Let me say that again, you didn't catch that. Your ability, my ability to gain and maintain credibility is the very thing that will open the door of your life to the next opportunity. Let me explain it to you. If you aren't credible with what you've got, if people can't trust you with what you've got, if you're not reliable in the position you have, then then there is a skepticism that comes to those in authority, those in your life, those around you, those in your relationships, that if you aren't credible now, you won't be credible then. But your ability to gain credibility... And to maintain that personal, relational, professional credibility will open the doors of opportunity in your life. If you run a good business and you you remodel the bathroom right the first time and everybody talks about how good it was the first time, 
then you get credibility to open the next door, the next customer. They can trust you because the previous customer said he did a fantastic job. Isn't it right, Trent? There's credibility built there because your ability to gain and maintain credibility will open the door of opportunity in your life. Listen, first impressions matter. They matter a ton. But what about the fourth impression? First impressions, are, they matter a ton. We, we have a culture built. I'm, let, me, let me just warn you. It's not up here, but I'm about to jump on a soapbox. Get ready. We have a culture built on first impressions. But what about the third impression? Do you get better looking the closer people get to you? I'm about to preach. When people get close to your life, do they see the thing you want them to see at the first impression? Or is the first impression a filtered impression? And when they get closer to you, they realize you aren't who you said you were. You can't do what you said you could do. You don't have what it is you said you have. When people get closer to you, do they confirm your Christianity or do they doubt your Christianity? I know a lot of Facebook preachers. I know very few people on Facebook saved, not y'all. I know a lot of people, when you get closer to them, and really, honestly, it's amazing sort of how this happens. Your credibility, write this down, your credibility is a combination of what you do, of who you are, and how others view you. Your credibility that you have to gain and maintain to open doors of opportunity in your life is a combination of what you do, Oh, pastor, I can do whatever I want. I'm grown. I, I'm, I'm free. I can do anything I want to do. Nobody going to tell me, okay. But I just want you to know your credibility is based on what you do. You're right. You're grown. Do anything you want to do, honey. But your credibility is based on what you do. It's based on who you are, not who you pretend to be, who you are. And it's based on how others view you. Whether If they don't like what they see, it's their problem. It's, I don't care what they think about me. I'm just going to be me. I'm going to do me. I don't care. If you don't like me, you just... Okay, you can live your life that way with closed doors at every turn of your life. Closed relationships. Closed promotion on your job. Cl- closed, c- closed friendships. Nothing will open up in your life. You can live that way. We have a whole culture that tells you live your truth. Just live your truth, honey. Whatever your truth is, it's fine. If people don't like your truth, they weren't supposed to be in your life anyway what if God's trying to open doors for you but when people get close to you you aren't credible how they view you is differently it's amazing where, where we live I, 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 I've been in coffee shops and restaurants you, you, have you ever seen somebody trying to get the perfect shot of their spaghetti at the restaurant come on standing up on chairs up in there talking about just opening up blinds open up those blinds I, I need more light in here and they just get all up here, and the food's getting cold. This all up here, I guess I got to tell everybody. It don't look nothing like the picture looks. You know what I'm talking about there? You, you, you ever seen somebody try to take selfies that way? It looks nothing like what actually is going on in the room. It, 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 people that take pictures of their homes, and, and they, they forget the tornado all behind them. They clean this one corner, and they take a picture of the, of the sunlight coming in on their cup of coffee. Hashtag blessed. You walk into their house, it looks like Chernobyl in there. You know what I'm saying? Stuff's melting off the walls in there. Where's that little hashtag blessed coffee cup in the corner by the fiddle fig and the lights opened up? Where is 
that. It's because I'm not, you're not credible. The closer I get to you, you don't look like you said you looked. Oh, am I helping you? So, it's amazing. You take a selfie, you look like Beyonce. Well, you, you know what I'm talking about? With the hip, with that one leg. Y'all know. Look like Beyonce. And then somebody meets you in person and you look like this. I'm sorry, ma'am. She's obviously had a very bad night. Come on. The closer people get to you, are you credible? Are you following what I'm saying? Say amen. Are you really? you got to take that off. I can't look at that anymore. Are you who you say you are? Being credible is a biblical idea. Jesus was credible. Luke 2 and 52 says that Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in, say the word favor. Better translation is credibility. He grew in credibility from the age of 12 years old to the age of 30 years old. From the time he's in the temple teaching until the time he's baptized by his cousin John. We know nothing about Jesus except this one verse that he grew in credibility. He grew in credibility with God and with man. When people saw his life up close, he was who he said he was. And it opened the door. He spent the bulk of his life from 12 to 30 building his credibility. Building his credibility. When you build your credibility, you enlarge your sphere of influence. Your level of real influence is currently dependent on the degree at which you have credibility with people. If you don't have influence, it's because you don't have credibility. Your spouse, your kids, your co-workers, your neighbors, the people. Are you trustworthy? Are you reliable? Are you believable? Are you authentic? Are you credible? Are you not duplicitous? Are you a liar? Are you filtered? Are you phony? Are you fraud? Am I helping you now? It's the credibility test. It's the credibility test. It's the credibility test. The closer people get to you, can they trust you and are you reliable? To be who you say you are. Here's the second one. i got to spend more time about this today. I want to give you two of them if I can today. And it's the wilderness test. Would you write this down? That the wilderness test comes as a dry season. I, 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 I spent more time on this because I think it applies maybe to where you are today. It comes as a dry season to prove our potential like all tests do. To make necessary changes for progress. Now, when you read that, it sounds interesting. I, I, the, the wilderness test is a dry season. A dry season means I can't, I, I just, there's seasons that come into your life when you can't feel the manifest presence of God. You ever been there? God, where are you? Why can't I feel? I'm praying like I always have, and I don't feel you. I'm making decisions, and I feel like you're nowhere near me. I feel like I'm not surviving. I feel like I'm not thriving, I'm just surviving. I feel like I'm just getting by. There are times in your life when your supply does not match your demand. The supply of joy that you need isn't there. The supply of resolve that you need. The supply of comfort that you need. The supply of peace that you need. It's a dry season and it comes into your life to prove your potential to make necessary changes for progress. The wilderness is not meant so that you'll get more dependent on God. That's, that, that, that's, a, that's a fallacy. People think, well, you know, I'm, I'm in a wilderness right now, but I'm just dependent on God. I'm praying more than I ever have. That's great. That's not what it's for. It's for 
your potential to change. Because I know a lot of people who pray in dry places but never make changes. I've prayed every time I sat in my truck in front of Planet Fitness and I haven't lost a single pound in that truck. Because you got, I've prayed for every fried chicken I've ever eaten. But you got to make changes if you're going to lose weight. Are you with me? There's some stuff in your life and dry seasons you come into that prayer, even though it's essential, even though it's valuable, even though it's productive, even though you need it, it's not the thing that God's testing you. He's testing your ability to change. Jesus experienced his own wilderness just before he enters public ministry. After his baptism by John, he is in the wilderness 40 days and 40 nights. It's the wilderness test. It's the test of wilderness. The wilderness test almost always precedes, listen, one of your seasons of victory and progress and blessing. Possibly the greatest season. Before Jesus enters his public ministry, he's in the wilderness. The most effective part of the life of Jesus Christ, immediately before it, he's in a wilderness. And it could be that immediately before your most effectiveness, most blessing, most progress, things come together the most in your life, you'll be in the wilderness, in a dry place where I can't feel God and I don't know where He is and how this happened. The children of Israel are in the wilderness. Hebrews had been slaves for 400 plus years. There had been a Pharaoh who now is in charge of all of Egypt, the largest power in the known world, the only superpower in the ancient world and he comes to power and he the Bible said that he knew not Joseph in other words he didn't remember God's plan he didn't remember how Joseph saved Egypt in the famine he didn't remember the wisdom of Joseph the the power and presence of God that was with Joseph he didn't even remember how the Hebrews got there that Pharaoh who rose to power after 400 years now has enslaved the Hebrews He's enslaved the Hebrew nation and he's terrified of them. Believe it or not, he's scared of their influence. They live in an area of Egypt called Goshen. They live in the, in, in the plains of Goshen. And it's, it, it, they're, they're a massive group of people. And the Pharaoh is scared of their influence. Maybe they'll overturn. Who knows what will happen uh, with them. And so God delivers them. I don't have time to preach it to you, but God delivers them from captivity through his servant Moses. Moses raises up and helps deliver the children of Israel. The plagues come. Most theologians believe that at the time of the great exodus there are somewhere between four and five million Hebrews who leave the Goshen plain overnight at the great Passover. Four to five million people that walk across the Red Sea on dry land. Four to five million people who've seen the hand of God pass over an entire country and kill all the firstborn except theirs. Four to five million people who've seen God literally open up the Red Sea and dry the ground underneath them. And they are in the wilderness. Notice... That the duration and the location of the wilderness were God's plan. Let me say that to you again. So you don't believe that the devil sent this to you. The location and the duration of the wilderness were God's design. 
I have to bring you through here to get you over there. I have to bring you through this dry season, not to test your dependence on me, to test your ability to change, to test your ability to make a difference, to test your ability to change how you think. I'm preaching to people right now. I could probably, right now, the gift of knowledge is working in my, I could probably lay my hands on you. I know exactly who I'm preaching to, that you've, you've been stuck in a cycle of wilderness, can't figure out how to get out of your life, can't figure out what I'm supposed to do next. You've tried everything in the world except change. You've tried everything in the world to get out of the wilderness, to hear from God again, to get direction, to know what to do, to find your place, except change. And Deuteronomy writes about, Moses writes about, in in retrospect, he looks back in past tense about the wilderness. Watch what he says in Deuteronomy 8. He says, he led you through, here's a description of the wilderness you may be in right now, a vast and dreadful wilderness. It's vast. There are places that you don't even know yet until you walk into it. You ever been in such a dry place that you thought, I don't even know it could get this bad. Then I walk over here and it got that bad. A vast and dreadful wilderness He led you through. That thirsty and waterless land, that's a great description of what it's like to be in a dry season when you don't have any hope, when you feel like I'm dying out here of thirst. I just need a drink of water. I just need a little refreshing. I just, I just need a good day. We just need a break somewhere. I just need one deal to go through. I just need one week where we don't fight, yell, cuss, and hit. I just need one time my kids do what it is we're supposed to do. I just need one week our family isn't broken down. I just need one good night's sleep. I just need a little bit of water in this wilderness and there are things there that try to attack me venomous snakes and scorpions by the way in the wilderness those were real in the wilderness test those are people those aren't devils and demons those are people used by devils and demons (laughs) venomous snakes and scorpions trying to Get you, snip at you, bite at you, tell you tell, well, why you can't, why, why, why keep going. Why do you even go to that church? Why do you keep tithing when you're losing business? Why do you keep staying there when things aren't good? Why, why do you keep praying when you get no answers? Scorpions and venomous snakes. And he, and he brought you in the middle of the wilderness. He brought you water out of hard rock. That's not the cafe, by the way. That's a literal hard rock. He brought you water. There, there have been times when you thought, there's just, I'm in the wilderness, and then there's this, just out of the blue, man, felt like that came out of nowhere. And He sustained you with spiritual food, manna, to eat in the wilderness, something that your ancestors didn't know. There are people here who you can't talk to the people who've gone on before you about your struggle because they don't know what you're going through. Your daddy never lived what you, he never started a business. Your mama never, never, never stuck together with a man longer than 5, 10, 15 years. They don't know marriage that lasts. You, you, you don't even, your ancestors can't relate to people who just go through and keep walking. Am I helping anybody now? Your, your ancestors have never known. And he did it so he could humble you and test you. It's a test. So that in the end, I love this about the God of the Bible, it's the same exact thing that James said. I want you to lack nothing and be complete. I want everything in your life to come together. I want you to be mature and whole. In the end, I want it to go well with you. 
that it might go well with you. That it might go well with you. Would you write that in your notes? That it might go well with me. He wants it to go well in my marriage. To go well in my business. To go well in our finances. To go well in my peace. To go well in my joy. He didn't send me through this dry place to hurt me. He wants it to go well with me. I didn't bring you to this wilderness. It was an 11 day journey. It took them 40 years. You know why? Because they sent spies into the land. 12 spies if you're new to the Bible. And they were there 40 days in the land. 10 of them came back and said there's just no way that we can beat this. There's just no way we can overcome this. Two spies, Joshua and Caleb said we are well able to do this. And the children of Israel believed the report of the 10 negative spies. Those that went ahead and had a negative report. And for every day that they were there, God gave them a year in the wilderness. 40 days equaled 40 years in the wilderness. The duration of the time of the test is dependent on what voice you listen to. <laughs> That's why church is so important. You just want us here because you just get, no, 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 I don't want you here because of me. I want you here because if you're in a wilderness test, I need you to be in a place where I'm speaking life over you, not negative over you. If, you, if your marriage is struggling, I need you to be in church so that I can speak God's plan over you. Because it matters the voice that you listen to in the wilderness. <laughs> it matters the report you believe in the wilderness. Are you saying I need to just stop my medicine? No, take every pill they give you. But if the doctor told you it was no hope, I want you to get in here and hear that God is still a healer. He's our great physician. Nothing's too hard for Him. Nothing is too beyond Him. Are you telling me I shouldn't go to rehab? No, you need help if you're addicted. But I want you to hear the positive words of God's Word that there's something better for you. You can be delivered, set free. You're not once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. That's a lie from hell. You can bury that old alcoholic and get up brand and new in Jesus name matters who you listen to the voices in the wilderness tell you there's just no way now listen imagine imagine 4 million of your relatives are released overnight and in 2 days you're in a desert and you miss home even if home is horrible it's always amazing to me that they start complaining you know what they you know what they tell Moses at least in Egypt we had onions garlics and leeks Nobody was kissing in Egypt, I guess. But at least we had onions, garlics, and leeks. <laughs> Give me the wilderness and a little smooching. Come on, somebody. You'll complain about stuff. Well, I know that he beat me, but at least I had somebody. Well, I know that that church was dead and dry and I never changed my life, but my friends were there at least. You'll just complain about what used to be because you get comfortable in the wilderness. More than 50% of prisoners released in America today end up back in, in prison. I'm talking about the federal penitentiary. More than 50% end up back in prison within three years of their release because they understand captivity, but they've never learned freedom. And I've met Christians after Christians after Christians who understand captivity and not freedom. Who are comfortable in religion, but struggle in relationship. Who are comfortable in the captivity of their past. The wilderness test is a dry season to test your ability to change. 
can you change your thinking? Can you change your attitudes? Can you change your responses? Can you change your biases? Can you change your traditions? Can you change your habits? Can you change your wounds? Can you change your secret sins? Can you change your selfish habits? Can you, can you change your distrustful view of God? Can you change your skeptical view of other people? Can you change in the wilderness? Can you pivot in the wilderness and do something different? Can you grow in the wilderness and become something better? Can you stretch in the wilderness and learn how to live in freedom? Can you grow and lean on others and not be independent? Can you learn what you thought you already knew in the wilderness? It's a test so that you can make progress to the promised land. It's a test. Every single person over the age of 20 years old in that 4 to 5 million people, every single person save Joshua and Caleb died in the wilderness. Because if you cannot change, you cannot go. You'll die in the test in the dry place. You'll die in the wilderness if you can't change. Joshua and Caleb were just as scared as the other ten. They just changed their minds. I've met a ton of people who are out of Egypt, but Egypt's not out of them. They're out of Egypt, but Egypt's still got a hold of my heart. I still think like a slave, act like a slave, talk like a slave, make decisions like a slave. I'm dependent like a slave. I understand captivity. I don't understand freedom. Your response in the wilderness will determine how long you stay in the wilderness. Can you change? Change is the constant companion of progress. Can you make the right changes? The, the children of Israel, they had plenty of blame. It's God's fault. It's Moses' fault. It's our people's fault. It's, it's the leader's fault. It's the weather's fault. It's the rain's fault. People blame each other. Instead of looking at me, maybe it's me. You can blame your spouse and the next one. You can blame their church and the next one. You can blame your job and the next one. You can blame your house and the next one. You can change your clothes and the next one. You can change your hair and the next one. But until you change what's on the inside of you, until you pivot and make changes in the wilderness, I'm changing how I think. I used to think like a slave. I used to think in captivity. But He set me free. I can change. I've got ability and potential to change my life so that I can move forward. Am I helping you? The best way for you to change. This is the end. I got to go. Listen. This is the, this is the crux of this. You gotta, if you don't get this, you don't get none of it. The way to pass the wilderness test is to have the right people. I, I need some Joshua and Caleb. Aubrey, Grayland, come here. Hurry, hurry, hurry. I need some Joshua and Caleb's. I don't know if you're posting probably all the good stuff I'm saying on Twitter. I need some Joshua and Caleb's in my life. I need people who are going to encourage me, not discourage me. I need people in my life. I, I, I need to be able to go forward with the right influences, with the right people around my life. I, don't need, I would take two of them telling me we can than ten of you telling me we can't. I'll take two of them encouraging my marriage instead of ten of you telling me to walk away. I'll take two of them telling me I'll see you next Sunday at church then ten of you tell me it doesn't really matter if you go or not I'll take two of them encouraging me to stay faithful in my giving instead of ten of you telling me don't worry about it God doesn't hear you anyway I'll take two of them who meet me at prayer then ten of you who tell me God doesn't hear it matters who you're with in the wilderness 
I need a Joshua who's full of faith. I need a Caleb who's got a plan. I need a Joshua who tell me we can do it. And a Caleb who'll walk with me with it. I need a Joshua who hears from God. And a Caleb who gets a notepad out and said, let's make a plan together. And we can do this together. It matters who you're with. That's why you need a group. You guys can be seated. That's why you need a small group. i got to help you today. Connect Groups launch today. And the best thing I know I can help you as your pastor to get you out of the dry season is to get you around some people who will pull you out of the dryness, who will change your thinking, who will change who you're with. You can go to God for forgiveness. God will get you out of Egypt, but people get Egypt out of you. The Bible said, you delivered us with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts. God gets you out of hell. God gets you out of Egypt. God saves you. God changes your mind. God delivers you from hell. God sets you in salvation. God saves you. You go to God for forgiveness, but you got to have people to change. Keep hanging around other divorced guys, you'll be divorced. Keep hanging around other addicts, you'll go back to it. Keep hanging around other negative people. Every word out of your mouth will be negative. You need the right people. James says it like this. Therefore, confess your sins not to God. To each other. I need you, John. I need you in my life. You've lived something. You've walked some stuff. I need you in my group. I need you in my world. I need your, I need your passion for lost people and evangelism and reaching the world. I need that. You need me. We need one another in God's kingdom. I need what you bring. You need what I bring. I confess to you, I need you. I need you, Kevin. I need what you have. I need your attention to detail. I need you. We're not just here because we're going the same direction. We're here because I need you. Because I, I need the right people in my life. I need the right people in my life. I need the right people. It matters who you confess your sins and faults one to another and pray for each other that you may be delivered. Bow your heads in prayer that you may be healed that you may be whole. That's my prayer for you this series. That you may lack nothing that it may be well with you. That you may be mature. That you may be complete. That you may be whole. That you may be healed. You can be a better mom, a better wife, a better dad, a better husband, a better employee, a better boss, a better servant, a better giver, a better member, a better neighbor. It's only a test. It's a test of your credibility. It's a proving ground. It's a test. Are you who you say you are? It's a test. The wilderness, the dry place, it's a test. It's a test. It's a test. It's a test. Get around the right people. You can know God by yourself, but you can't find freedom alone. You can get out of Egypt, but you need Egypt out of you. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray for every person in this room. Come on, bow your heads, close your eyes. This is a moment of decision. If you're in one of those two tests, if you feel like that's me, I'm in that test right now. I'm going through it. I'm battling it. My credibility is being tested. People are seeing me up close, and there are seasons of my life where I feel fraudulent. I feel, I feel like I'm not who I say I am. I, I, I'm in a wilderness. I'm in a dry place. I need 
I, I need the right people. I need to change my thinking, my attitude, who I am, my insides. I'm in a test. If that's you, raise your hand. Come on, hands up. All over the house. It's only a test. It's only a test. It's only a test. It's only a test. Father, I pray for every person. Come on, pray for yourself in this test. I pray for every person whose hand was raised that feels the pressure of a test. The pressure of a world that comes against them, testing them, trying them, proving them. I pray for every person in a proving ground now. That God, the closer they get, the more credible they would become. The the, the more people see their lives, the more they respect them, honor them. Believe they are who they say they are. God, I pray for people in the wilderness today, a dry place. That God, there would be change. I pray for people who are stuck in religion. You've done it this way all your life. You've always felt this way. You've always said this, but it's gotten you no joy, no fulfillment, no satisfaction. Change churches, change jobs, change houses. You've got to change your mind. It proves your ability to change. God, I'm changing my heart today. Come on, tell him. I'm changing my mind today. I'm going to get around the right people. I'm going to get in some group. I don't care. I'm going to join the team today. I've I got to have church people. I've got to have godly people. I've got to have positive influences. I've got to have marriages that stick together. I've got to have men that treat their wives with respect. I've got to have women who honor their husbands. I've got to have single adults who live pure. I've got to have the right influences. I've got to have joy-filled people. I've got to have spirit-filled people. I've got to have people in my life I need. I'm going to get on the growth track. I'm going to join every team. I'm going to get in a group. I will not listen to ten people who tell me I can't. Give me two people who say I can. Give me two people who lead us out of the wilderness. In Jesus' name. Come on, in Jesus' name.